Good morning, everyone. Good to have you here today. I'm glad that you're not all on the women's retreat. Well, at least half of you, anyway. We, uh, we are right at the beginning of a brand new series. We began it last week called The Lord's Prayer. And we talked about how the Lord's Prayer is, in fact, an outline that guides us in our prayer. For so many people, they pray the Lord's Prayer as some sort of a uh, magical incantation. You know, just quickly rush through it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know, you know what I'm talking about. So rush through it. We don't think about what it, what it even means. I want you to know that when Jesus was asked by his disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. He gave them an outline that would guide them in their prayer time. Because here's the thing. You and I could probably recite the Lord's Prayer in less than 15 seconds, maybe even less than that. But that's, that's, that's not communication, right? That's not how we talk to God. We understand that in order to have, have relationship with somebody, we actually need to talk to them, right? We need to communicate with them. And if we don't talk to them, if we don't communicate with them, well, we simply can't have a relationship. So we understand then that the Lord's Prayer is simply an outline to guide us in our communication or in our conversation with our Father in heaven. And last week we said that we begin the prayer, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, because we need to begin by focusing on God. Most of us, when we go to prayer, we go with our long shopping list of things that we need from God. God, I really need help with these hips. God, I really need a new car. God, I really need a new iPhone. I know I just got the 5S, but God, I really need the 6. And God, I, I need a, a new computer, and I need, and I need, and I need, and I want this, and God, fix my wife. She's, got, she's crazy. Uh, I mean, every, every month there's a time, God, when she's just nuts. I, I need you to fix her. And, and, you're, and the women are, maybe you're praying, God, fix my husband. Uh, he still wants a mama. I don't want to be his mother anymore, and I don't know what to do about it. And, and you're praying about your kids, my kids, oh God, I don't know where they come from. They obviously take after his side. And on and on it goes. And we, got, we come with all our problems and we're complaining to God. We're grumbling. We're telling him what to do. Well, Jesus says that when we go into prayer, we don't start with our, with our list of complaints. How many know that God is not a complaint department? Everybody understands that? And how many know that God is not, does not need to be told how to rule the universe, doesn't need to be told what to do? Does everybody get that? Because so many people don't. They think that when we go into prayer, we've got to give God instructions. And God, make sure that you take care of Aunt Sally who's in the hospital and sick. And, oh, God's like, I didn't know that. That's, we've, got this, we've got this strange notion of who God is. That somehow we've got to go and give him instructions and tell him what to do. How many know that we don't need to go and tell God what to do? Everybody gets this? And you're going to discover that as we go through the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is an outline to show us how to have relationship with our Father in heaven. And so we begin by addressing our Father in heaven. We remind ourselves as we pray that we are his children and that he is our Father. And he's not just our Father. He is the omnipotent Father. That means the all-powerful one, the omniscient God, the all-knowing God, the omnipresent God, the, the God who is everywhere. So here's what you and I need to understand about our Father in heaven. I got a great earthly father, great guy, but he's no match for my Father in heaven. Hello. And so here's what you need to know about your Father in heaven. Your Father in heaven is absolutely 100% equal and greater than Every problem, every struggle that you may be facing today. 
You may be here today thinking, you know what, my life is hopeless. I don't know if I can go on anymore. But God is here to tell you that he is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that you ask of him. You need to know there's nothing too difficult for the Lord. You need to understand that with, with man, these things may be impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So that's how we begin our prayers. We begin by focusing on God. We begin by focusing on his ability. We begin by focusing on, on his love for us and his relationship to us. Well, the second part of the prayer is, uh, is and you know it, is, is simply this. We, and let's look, take a look at this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. And it says, we ask, read it with me. We ask that you're, right. Let's start again. Start again. The Bible College students were quick on this one. So let's try it again. Ready? We ask that your kingdom will come now. May your will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. Actually, in this verse are two petitions. The first sentence is, the, is, is what we call the second petition in the prayer. And next week, actually, Mark is going to be addressing this third petition. May your will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. But today, we're focusing on this sentence. We ask that your kingdom will come now. Now, for many of you, when you grew up learning the prayer, you learned to pray, uh, thy kingdom come, period. Now, the reason I chose this version of the prayer is because I think it best reflects uh, the prayer in the Greek language, in the original language. If you read, read the prayer in the original language, it's actually, it's actually spoken in the imperative, which requires an, actually, an exclamation point. May your kingdom come now. You, you, get, you sense the urgency, you sense the, the force, the, the, the energy behind that, that desire, I need it now. And you need to see this. Because here's the thing, folks, as you pray this prayer, it radically changes and influences how you live your life, which I'm going to explain in just a moment. Back in 2012 in the city of Aurora, Colorado, it was, a, it was a, a dark night, truly a dark night. There was a, actually a new movie that was come out, and um, uh, a gunman went into a theater, and for no apparent reason, and, for, and no given reason to this day, he took his gun and he opened fire. Twelve people were killed, and 70 more were injured. Everybody scratches their head, and they wonder, what's going on? Now, this past week, the disturbing contents of his diary were uh, read out in court. And here's what was in his, his crazy journal. He asks repeatedly, he asks the question repeatedly, what is life about? What is death about? Why am I here? What's the purpose for my life? What's the point of life? Why? 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 And he asked that over and over and over. Why, 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 why? So here's, here's a problem, folks. In our culture, we have come to the place now where we have divorced God from our culture. We don't want God involved in our culture. In fact, you may have heard recently that they're even trying to remove the name of God out of our national anthem. Has anybody seen that or heard about that? They, we don't want God in our lives. But what we don't understand is that God helps us understand who we are and why we exist. It's through God that we discover our purpose in life. It's through God that we begin to understand that we are spiritual beings created, look at this, created in the image of God. 
But the only way that we can understand who we are and why we exist is by looking to the one who created us. Paul says to the believers in the city of Ephesus some 2000, almost 2,000 years ago, he says this, Ephesians 2.10, we, for we are God's handiwork, or in some translations, we are God's masterpiece. Look at that person beside you. Doesn't that look like a masterpiece? If you ever saw one? Go ahead, take a look. Yeah. Oh, some of you are laughing at the masterpiece. Uh, what does that do for your self-esteem? <laughs> Just go, mmm, really good. Where's Gloria? Mm. That's my wife, by the way. <laughs> so look at this, folks. Listen, listen. God has created you as a masterpiece for a purpose. God has a special plan for your life. Because some of you think that you, you were born by accident, that you're here by accident, you're on this earth by accident. But the Bible, the Christian faith teaches that you were created for a purpose. God created you because he wanted to have fellowship with you. God created you to do a special work that only you can do. And here at Cross Church, what we try to do is we try to, try to help people discover what it is that God created them to do. Because for a lot of people, they go to church every Sunday, and it's sort of like, you know, it's good. I was, I was, be kind to God day is Sunday. I'll put a few dollars in the offering plate. You know, I'll sing a few songs, you know, cross myself if you're inclined to do that or whatever, raise my hands or not if you're inclined or not inclined. And you think that's it. But what you don't understand is that God created you for relationship with him to do a special work in his life. Recently, I went to visit with a young person that was really going through a horrible time uh, in, uh, in her life and asked the question, where's God? Where's God in this dark, dark world? And you know what I said to her? I said, he's right here. So what are you talking about? I said, God sent me here to talk to you. God is here to meet with you and to meet your needs through me. In fact, everybody who calls himself or herself a Christian or a follower of Christ becomes the hands and the feet of God. You actually now become God's presence wherever you go. It's pretty cool. And that's why we send teams over to Burundi and why we send them over to Africa and to the Philippines and to Israel and different parts of the world. Why? Because God calls us to go so that we may be his representatives. Wouldn't it be cool, wouldn't it be wonderful if everybody understood that they have a purpose in life and that the only thing that's going to bring any real happiness or joy is by fulfilling the thing that God created you to do? Because God created every person here, even Liam. <laughs> I'm joking, Liam. Have some fun with you. God's created every single one of us for a purpose. Even me, Liam, God created even me for a purpose. Now, I found my purpose. What's your purpose? And what's your purpose? And what's yours? You see, that's what this first petition is all about. It helps us discover and to know what it is that God created us to do, and it helps us get aligned with his will and purpose for our lives. Let thy kingdom come. This... This petition, this second petition, is, is critical. Look, you've got to get this. It's crucial. It's critical for your Christian life, for your Christian development. 
Because here's what God wants you to do. Every time you go to pray this special petition, Lord, let thy kingdom come, or as the TLB puts it, we ask that your kingdom will come now. Every time you pray this, here's what happens. is you are saying, God, help me to live like a Christian. How many would agree with me it's hard to live like a Christian? There's three of us, or four of us, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten right here. Do I see 20, 21, 22? Yeah, you get my point. We all, look at, look at, look at, look at, we all struggle with this. We all struggle with living like a Christian. Because this world is a dark world, and this world is a force of its own that we're maybe sometimes not even aware of. But more about that in just a moment. So we're saying, God, help me to live like a Christian. By thinking like a Christian and having, look at this, and having the desires of a Christian. That's what this phrase is all about. Let thy kingdom come. Let me just give you a bit of uh, background here. There's actually two aspects to this. We ask that your kingdom will come now. It has a present aspect and also a future aspect. Let's look at the future aspect first of all. There's a time, folks, in Christian theology, Christian teaching, the time is coming when, when we believe as Christians that Jesus Christ will return back to this earth. In fact, Jesus tells us clearly what the days or what the times will be like just before he returns. And never in the history of, human, of, of humankind have we seen so many signs of Christ's return. That's, and he literally gives us signs. And you, you need to get your Bible, read it for yourself if you like. Um, and you'll see the things that Jesus says is going to happen on the earth before he returns is all happening now. Uh, I'm not here to talk about that this morning. I'm here to talk about prayer. Look, listen to this. Listen. The day is coming when Jesus is going to come again and he's going to set up his his kingdom, his rule on earth. And some of you are saying, well, hold on a minute here, Pastor. I thought Jesus was already ruling. He's ruling in my heart. Well, that's a good point. We understand that right now in the present, Jesus is reigning in your heart if, if you have put your faith in Christ and if you are a Christian. But the day is coming when Jesus will not just reign spiritually, he will also reign physically on the earth. He's going to take over the earth. Matt, does that sound like a good plan to you? Yeah, he's going, to take, he's going to reign on this earth, the Bible says. In fact, we talk about it as a millennial reign or a thousand-year reign. But again, I'm not talking eschatology this morning. So here's what, here's what we need to understand. This, is, this has got to be the desire of our heart. We need to pray, God, let your kingdom come. I desire to see you come to this earth. It's along the same lines as of what John says in the Revelation when he says, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Now, I used to pray this prayer all the time, God, come quickly, but I used to add a little bit of a footnote to my prayer, and I'd say, Lord, I would like you to come. I want your kingdom to come, but uh, first, uh, let me get married. That was, uh, that was sort of the thing. I wanted Jesus to come, but first, I wanted to be married. I wanted to experience that. And uh, so those of you who have been waiting for Christ's return, the reason he didn't return is because I prayed that I could get married first. And maybe somebody else is praying that, I don't know. But here's what you need to know this morning. Here's what you need to know. Is that our, as Christians, our heart's desire needs to be a desire to see Jesus return. And those of you who are Christians, you'll understand that because there'll be a longing in your heart. You want to see Christ. 
Some of you, maybe you're going through a difficult time today. You've got, you've got maybe problems in your marriage, and you're saying, God, today would be a good day to return. Or maybe you've got problems at work, or your financial difficulties, or you're in trouble right now, and you think, Lord, I'd just like to get out of this world. I'm just done. I'm done. Come, come, Lord Jesus. Look, I'm not talking about asking Jesus to return because, you know, you're, you're in trouble or because you need an escape hatch. I'm talking about a desire to see Christ return because you understand that the most important thing in the world is for you to be united with your Lord and with your Savior. When you pray this prayer, we ask that your kingdom will come now. You know what you're doing? You're reminding yourself that you are, in fact, no longer a citizen of this world. You're a citizen of heaven. That's what the Bible says. If you're a Christian, you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. You are a citizen of heaven. And that, my friends, is where you get your ultimate sense of satisfaction and of happiness. Now, I can't, I can't, say, I can't say more about that because it's, it's a mystery that only a follower of Jesus Christ can understand and can, can embrace. So that's the present reality, or the future reality. What's the present reality? The present reality is this. Look at it. It says here in Matthew chapter 5, 24. And Jesus says this. He says, I tell you the truth. Matthew, John 5, 24. I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have what? They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. Now, here's what so many people don't get. When you became a Christian, Jesus tells us that the day you became a Christian, you passed from death into eternal life, which means that you have already entered heaven. Okay, you know, you're not in heaven yet, but you've got a taste of it. We have a taste of heaven because here's what heaven is all about. Heaven is all about relationship with God and relationship with one another. So here's what we have in church. We have an opportunity to worship God, to connect with God, and to connect with one another. That's why we put a patio out in our parking lot. It's not because we don't need this, the parking spots. It's because we want to give you opportunity to experience a taste of heaven. Does this make sense? So you fellowship together, you connect together, and you experience a little bit of what heaven will be. It's going to be a place where we come together, we fellowship with God, and we fellowship with each other. So when I pray, and let's go back to that verse. When, we, when I pray, we ask that your kingdom will come now. What we're saying is, what we're recognizing is that we are part of this great kingdom of God that is of another world. This is why the writer of Hebrews says, he says, this world is not my home. Could you say that with me? This world is not my home. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you understand this world is not your home, you are a part of the kingdom of God. And every time you pray this petition, what are you saying? You're declaring to God that you're part of his kingdom and you're reminding yourself that you are not of this world. I know everybody here today struggles with not getting entangled with the things of this world. I know that because Jesus even has to remind his disciples of that. In John chapter 17, Jesus says, you are, you are in this world, but you're not of this world. When you pray this prayer, let thy kingdom come, what are you doing? You're saying, God, I'm not of this world. Help me, God, to be in this world, but help me, God, not to be of this world. More about that in just a moment. 
in this present age, as we are members of the kingdom of God, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then here's what I know. I know that, first of all, you are experiencing Christ reigning in your heart. We say that he is the king of our heart. He is our Lord. How many of you know that we use that term Lord? Do you understand when we talk about Jesus Christ as our Lord, we, we are actually acknowledging that he's our master and that we are subject to him, that we do his will and not our own will. You see why we need to pray this? Because every day before you go to work, you need to go through this prayer and be reminded, ultimately, this day is not about Alan. It's about what God wants. It's not about my will. It's about God's will. Can I just tell you this this morning? The essence of being a follower of Jesus Christ is that you do God's will and not your own. If you're in the habit of doing your own will, then we have to ask the question, are you sure that you're converted? Are you sure that you're a Christian? Are you sure that you're following Christ? Are you sure you're not backslidden? Are you sure you're where you need to be? Do you see why we need this reminder? Do you see why Jesus told his disciples, pray, your kingdom come? You need to be reminded that you belong to Christ. The other thing you need to understand, folks, is this. As people of the kingdom of God, as citizens of the kingdom of God, our ambition Our desire is to see God's kingdom go forward, to advance. So can I ask you this question today? Who is it in your life? What friend do you have? Do you have children maybe that don't know Christ? That need to hear about your faith in Christ? You see, that's what it means to be part of the kingdom of God is that you have the same heart for God and the same desires that God has. Now, what's God's desire? The Bible says that it's not God's will that anyone should perish, but that everyone should experience everlasting life. The Bible says that God sent Jesus into this world. Why? To seek and to save what is lost. See, that's the heartbeat of God. That is what's nearest and dearest to the heart of God. So look at this. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ then your heart needs to reflect the heart of Jesus Christ. And what is in Christ's heart? He wants people to know him. He wants people to be set free from their sin. He wants people to discover his great love. Thy kingdom come. We ask that your kingdom will come now. God, I'm on board with you. I want to do what you want me to do. That's what you're praying. Let's look at this more, more precisely, shall we? Specifically, what happens when you pray this prayer? First of all, what you're doing is you're acknowledging that Jesus is your king. So when you go into prayer and you say, thy kingdom come, what are you doing? You're recognizing that this kingdom actually has a king, and his name is Jesus. So when you go before God in prayer, you're acknowledging that Jesus is your king. And I would, I would suggest this to you, that, that you address him as your king. My Lord and my King. The the disciples did. My Lord and my King, my Master. I'm here today to take orders from you. I'm here today to follow your will and not my own. 
Do you know that, uh, I, I don't know how many people here love history. I love history, and I particularly love medieval history. I love to, well, when I was a boy anyways, I loved to read anything about medieval England. I loved to read about the knights and, and uh, the crusades and the kings and so on and so forth. And here's what I discovered when I was doing some research on this. I discovered that when a, when a, a man, and it was always a man, never, women weren't allowed at that in those days, uh, when a man wanted to be a knight, a knight that served the king, he had to take what they called the oath of fealty. And it was basically a promise of faithful service to the king. Uh, they would call him my lord. And... Uh, and his, his job was to do the will of his master, the will of his king. To take an oath was a very solemn proceeding because what would happen as he was taking that oath is that he would appeal to God and he would say, God, if I don't keep my oath, if I break my oath in any way, God bring down upon me divine punishment. So you recognize how, how critical and how serious this, these vows were. And so here's what, here's what the, the knight would, would promise. He'd say, I promise on my faith that I will in the future be faithful to the Lord, that is the king, never cause him harm, and will observe my homage to him completely against all persons in good faith and without deceit. And then the vassal, which is the knight, would appear before the Lord bareheaded and nothing on his head, and without any weapons, and he would come before, kneel before the king, kneel before the Lord, and clasping his hands before him, he put them forward like this. And he would promise that he would continue to submit to his king. It was an act of total submission to his king. Then the vassal, after he'd sworn his, his oath of fealty or allegiance, the king would place his hands on the vassal and announce his acceptance of said fealty. Now, here's, here's the thing, folks. As Christians, when we come before God, we need to understand that he's not just our savior. He's not just the one who saved us from our sin, but he's also our master and Lord, which means then that our job is to say, God, what is it that you want me to do today? And what is it you want me to do from this moment forward? That's what this is all about. It's acknowledging that he is your master and king. Lord Jesus, you are my king. What's the other purpose of this petition? It's, a, it's, it's what, what I would call a reality check to find out whether or not you're on track or not. How many know that every now and again you need to stop and you need to do an evaluation of your life? Uh, we do that with our health. We go to the doctor, and the doctor goes through a checklist to see if we're on track. Really, that's what this is about. It's to find out whether or not we're caught up in the rat race of life. For too many Christians, for too many of us, we are so wrapped up with the things of this world. We're so wrapped up with our own purposes, our own plans, our own ideas, our own wants, that we forget that we are called to serve the king. Now, can I remind you of this? The night actually had his own land, his own holdings. And, and here's the thing. He had his own interests. And what he had to do is he had to somehow manage the tension between his interests and the interests of his king. Folks, that's precisely what you and I do as Christians. Because we all have our interests, we all have our pursuits, we all have our visions, our goals, our dreams, our careers. We all have big plans, 
But here's what God wants you to do. He's not saying, you know, scrap your plans. He's not saying that. What he is saying, however, is this. You need, first of all, to submit to his plans and make sure that your plans align with his plans. That's what this is about. Let thy kingdom come. Let your kingdom, God, rule in my hearts so that I do your will and not my own. Here's, here's what I know. Everybody here today who's going through problems or going through, you're confused. I get this all the time. Pastor, I'm feeling real confusion in my life. And here's what I say. I say, God is not the author of confusion. If you're in a confused state, it simply means that somehow, somewhere along the line, you got off track. It means you're not doing God's will right now. And so what we need to do is we need to figure out where and when you got off track and get you back on track again. Because God's not the author of confusion. God's not the author of the disaster that you've got yourself into. God wants to help you out of it. But the question is this. Are you prepared now to say, God, I'm going to get my plans aligned with your plans? That's what it means to pray, thy kingdom come. And then finally, and this is really important, folks. It means that you and I have the same heart that God has. We need to, it means we need to pray for those who are not yet in the kingdom. And so here's what I have in my own, my own time of prayer. I've actually got a prayer list, a list of people that I pray for, people that don't know Christ, people that I'm hoping will come to know Christ. And I pray, God, give me the opportunity to share with them this great kingdom, this kingdom of God. Give me the opportunity to share my story of what Christ has done for me. It means I... I pray that God would give me, look at this, give me the courage to share my faith. I've been a pastor for over 30 years. I've been a Christian for more than that. And I still find it challenging and sometimes even difficult to share my faith. But I say, God, give me the, give me the courage of my conviction. Help me, God, to share what a difference you've made in my life. Give me the courage, Lord, to invite people to my church, to invite people to my small group, to invite someone out for coffee and just let them talk. In our small group, we've got about four or five people, maybe, that are not quite there yet. They're still, you know, still considering what the faith is all about. And I pray, God, help me to be a great witness and a great example to them so that they can see what true Christianity is all about. That's what it means to pray, thy kingdom come. God, give me the courage. Give me the courage to spread your kingdom to a broken and hurting world. Now, can I just say this to you this morning? I want to close with this. Um, for so many of us, it is so easy to get off track. You know what I'm talking about? It's so easy to lose our way. It's so easy to take a wrong t- turn and, and, in fact, lose our faith and lose our commitment to the king. It's so easy. So how do we stand track? Well, Jesus says, pray this prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Some years back, we watched for the first time Fiddler on the Roof. To me, one of the best movies ever. Love it. And basically, the premise of the movie is how do you stay on track when you are bombarded by all the problems and the struggles of life? It's a story of Tevye and his five daughters. They all have to get married. He's a poor man. He's got no dowry for them. And life's tough. And, you know, the, the story opens the, with, with Tevye 
delivering milk and the, the horse is lame so he can't even do the job properly and he's overwhelmed and his wife is screaming at him and nagging at him to get ready for the Sabbath. And, and you just get the, you get the picture that this poor guy is overwhelmed by life. And he says, life is like a fiddler on the roof. And he asked the question, how on earth does that fiddler keep on fiddling? That is playing his violin on the roof. How does he play that violin on the roof and not fall off? And he says, I've got a word for it. Tradition. That's how, that's how the fiddler goes on playing his fiddle on the roof without falling off. Well, can I tell you this this morning? For Christians, tradition is not the thing that keeps us on track. Tradition is not the thing that keeps us from falling off the roof. And by that, you understand we're talking about staying on track and not collapsing, not caving in, not falling into disaster. What keeps us solid? What keeps us on track? What, what prevents us from falling down and from getting into trouble? I'll tell you. It's this petition. Thy kingdom come. It's saying, God, I need to align my heart with your heart so that, God, my thinking and my desires and my actions reflect that I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. And that's what you and I need to learn to pray. So when you get into prayer, you're going to begin by praying to the Father, by getting your focus on him. And then what you're going to do is say, God, I pray that your kingdom would come. I pray, God, that you would help me to follow your will because you're my king. And secondly, I pray, God, that you would help me to see what in my life needs to change. It's a reality check. And finally, God, give me the courage to share my faith with my friends and my family. God, that my life would count and that people would clearly see that I am indeed a citizen of the kingdom of God. Would you stand with me, please? Father, thank you so much for your presence here. Thank you, God, for giving us instructions as to how to live this life. The, the, the Lord's Prayer, God, is not just a, an outline for prayer, but it's, it's an outline for living. It shows us how to live in this world. And so, God, thank you so much for teaching us, for instructing us. Thank you, God, that we're not left like sheep without a shepherd that don't know what to do. You've taught us what to do, and you're showing us how to pray. And so, God, we pray, give us the grace to desire and long for your kingdom, that it may be evident and obvious in our lives, that we follow you, King Jesus, and do your will, that we may have the desire to see your kingdom advance. And that, God, if we're off track, we get back on track again because we've stopped to consider what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Tell the person beside you, I'm so happy to see her today.